welcome to Tea and Strumpets, a Regency Romance Review. I'm Zoe. And I'm Kelsey. And today I wanted to talk about some kind of exciting books that have been announced that are coming out that, you know, weren't announced to be part of our books we're excited about in 2020 list. But one of them is an anthology uh, called Duke I'd Like to F. (laughs) And um, one book, I mean, it's got great authors attached to it. So it has Sierra Simone, Joanna Shoup, Ava Lee. Nicola Davidson, and Adriana Herrera. And I'm especially excited for Adriana Herrera's because she is writing about a Black or mixed race heroine here and a Duke. So again, getting a little bit more diversity into historical romance. And I just love that. This is great. All those authors are very fantastic. And I just love the title. I already pre-ordered. It comes out in November, November 17th. I figured I would not remember around November 17th. So I was like, okay, pre-order that now um, as a nice little like present for yourself. And also exciting from Adriana Herrera, she just announced a three-book deal of a series called Las Leonas, and it is following three Afro-Latinx heiresses who go on a girl's trip of a lifetime as they find love in Paris at the 1889 World's Fair. Ooh. So yeah, like another, again, diverse historical romance. So exciting. And also, I'm sorry, like that's exciting. But then also too, at the World's Fair, like that's a great year. I know. And you and I are like pretty stuck in England and Scotland, but I feel like we can go to Paris. (laughs) We can totally go to Paris, Zoe. For the World's Fair? Are you kidding me? Of course we can go to Paris. And so of course, um, you know, upon the announcement, uh, this garnered some negative attention as well, I would say, because some people pulled the, is that historically accurate card and um, had to get schooled on Twitter that, yes, it's actually quite historically accurate. <laughs> um, and they unfortunately, or or fortunately, so that the world can maybe become a better place, but it sucks that, that Black authors have to school people about this all the time. However, they brought up the words, shouldn't we call it, for accuracy's sake, historical fantasy? Um, Um, And the reason that I'm bringing – yeah, first of all, no. Second of all, the reason that I'm bringing that up is because today's book and our history fact – would also fall into the same category because our history fact, which you're going to talk about shortly, is something that happens 50 years after the book takes place. Yeah. Um, exactly. And I love it because the author gave us a note about the fact that she paid, she even says the line, which I will read to you, that she played fast and loose with the history timeline on this one because she liked the things and wanted to use them anyway. Yes. And, uh, so here's the deal. Like, we're here for a happily ever after and a good time and... You know, it's just never something that I'm going to fixate on because if it's a good story with good writing and amazing characters, that's fabulous. And if there's diversity in it, that's even better because I think that there's so such little light shown on the diverse side of history Mm -hmm. and we've got to we've got to do better and see more. And so I'm just I'm just excited for the book. So like I don't want to fixate on the the negative Twitter stuff because there was also a ton of positive. Yeah. Well, and that's true. And you know what we can always say to those naysayers, which is if you wanted pure facts, you can read a nonfiction book. Yes. <laughs> 
Well, uh, with that, shall we get into the book we're talking about today? Yes. And today we are talking about Three Weeks with Lady X by Eloisa James. Now, we have mentioned Eloisa James before, but it came to Mm -hmm. my attention that this is our first actual review of an Eloisa James book. So how has it taken this long? It's crazy, but at the same time, there's so many great authors, and I think also like kind of in in our quest to have a little bit of diversity, it just is going to take us a little bit more time to get through all of the like, what would we call them? Like the 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 kind of pillar authors that have so many books in this in in this uh, genre. Exactly, because we're trying to focus more on you know newer voices that are coming in or diverse voices as well. And there's just so many books anyway. Like how how in the world? Yeah, and also too, we like reading new books too. And if this was a podcast about all the books we just wanted to reread, that would be different. But we're not here to just reread books. We're here to read new books. And actually, funny thing is, I'd never actually read this book. Love (laughs) Louisa James, have many of her books. Somehow never read this one. And we'll talk about what I thought later. So Eloisa James is the pen name of Mary Bly. She is a tenured Shakespeare professor at Fordham University who also writes best-selling Regency and Georgian romance novels under her pen name. Her novels are published in 30 countries and have sold approximately 7 million copies worldwide. She also wrote a best-selling memoir about the year her family spent in France, Paris in love. She is the daughter of poet Robert Bly and short story author Carol Bly. So lots of writing in that family. It is a literary family to be sure. And so for our history fact, I have actually just taken this from the back of the book in the author's note, because she says all the things that I would have just gone to look up anyway. So our hero in this has recently acquired a rubber factory, and he's trying to find products to make it work. And so at one point, they discuss a rubber band and how he was thinking on large scale. And then our heroine's like, you know, I could really use a small band, though, to just like put around things. I have all these things I could use it for. And he gets an idea. So, our history fact from our author's note says, The first rubber factory in England wasn't established until 1811. This book takes place in 1799. And it wasn't until 1844 that Charles Goodyear patented the vulcanizing process, which stabilized rubber. India's rubber band first appeared with that usage in 1849. By 1850, many stores were selling India rubber toys, such as balls. And yes, the various puns on names, India rubber, as well as rose and thorn, were deliberate, which is you guys will realize later. Obviously, I played fast and loose with the dates of vulcanization in England. In my defense, other methods of curing rubber have been dated to prehistoric times. Indigenous people, for example, amazed Columbus's crew with rubber balls. So cool. And yeah, this is like, it was was a great part of the book. So like fast and loose, great. I'll take (laughs) it. That's fine. Didn't mention any wigs. So... I was into it. <laughs> I know. I had no idea it had taken. Well, I think there was a brief mention about he wasn't wearing a wig, but then again, he yes. dresses. He wasn't wearing a cravat either. So, yep, uh, yeah. <laughs> so I, I, I did, I did wonder when she said that. I was like, oh, is it a little earlier? And then later, later, the dates come into play. But 
Anyhow, our main tropes today are class differences and tragic childhoods. Mm-hmm. And our main characters are Lady Zenobia India St. Clair and Tobias Thorne Daughtry. So, shall we get into our synopsis? We shall. Lady Zenobia India St. Clair had a terrible childhood. Her parents loved her, but lived a bit in their own world, and that caused some neglectful behavior. Then, when she was 15, they died, and she was sent to live with her godmother, Lady Adelaide Swift. Lady Adelaide, while kind and loving, was not the managerial sort, so India, rebelling from her upbringing, took charge. She not only took on interior decorating, but also took on the task of organizing the household. After her godmother started bragging to her friends about what a great job India had done, she started getting hired out by other members of the ton to organize their lives. However, it's getting to the point where India should really consider marriage. After organizing everyone else's household, India wants one of her own. She's also getting up there in years, so she's all of 26. So, <laughs> so you know, the pressure on her to get married is a lot greater, because if she's not going to do it now, it probably won't happen. However, the trouble with marriage is that she just has a lot of trouble with the idea of submitting to a man in any way. Our hero has also had a bit of a different upbringing. He is the oldest son of the Duke of Villiers, and that is probably a French word that I am mangling terribly with my pronunciation. So if any listeners out there know how I should be pronouncing V-I-L-L-I-E-R-S, send us an email. (laughs) (laughs) So he is the oldest son of the Duke of Villiers, born on the wrong side of the blanket. He lived on the streets as a boy until he was found by his father and then brought up in a manner befitting a Duke's son. Currently, his best friend Vander, who is a future Duke, is trying to figure out why Thorne wants to settle down with Letitia Rainsford. Quote, she's beautiful, well-born, and well-bred. What more could I want? A brain, Vander stated. Letitia for Thorne represents acceptance in society. Her family is well-respected, but currently low in cash. Thorne has lots of cash to burn, and he is looking to lift his social acceptability and that of his future children. He does not need love, and since he doesn't plan to spend much time with his future bride, he doesn't really need a massive intellect either. His mother was a flaky woman who was an opera singer, who really only cared enough about Thorne to use him as leverage with his father. And when that no longer worked, she left him on the streets. Therefore, he also really doesn't trust women. So one who is easy to please is just fine with him. And motherly. That is the other characteristic he's hoping for. A woman who will not leave her children. Correct. So India and Thorne, though, are on a collision course. Thorne, in an effort to impress his potential future mother-in-law, has bought an estate just outside London, and it needs renovations. His stepmother, who is a wonderful woman and a friend of Lady Adelaide, has asked that India oversee its renovations, which is why she and Lady Adelaide are on Thorne's doorstep in London. Immediately, India thinks to herself how handsome Mr. Daughtry is. Also... He is not an easy man to manage. These two immediately have an attraction that brings out frustration in the other as they start to butt heads. Thorne starts out very dismissive of India, and India, on her part, goes on the attack after being dismissed. 
Thorn tells her that he needs the house ready in a fortnight. India tells him that a job of that size will need at least one to two months. So he tries to fire her from the job, but India does not accept. Quote, First, Eleanor hired me, not you. And second, you're the bastard son of a duke, Lady Zenobia said bluntly, showing she had balls, to put it equally bluntly. Do you realize you are the first lady who has ever said the word bastard aloud to me? She looked him straight in the eye. The word has more than one meaning. It seemed she applied at least two of those meanings to him. (laughs) After standing toe-to-toe throughout the meeting, they both agreed to meet at his estate in a couple days to assess the situation. The next day, Thorne has a bit of an issue. A little girl has been dropped off at his doorstep. She turns out to be the daughter of his childhood friend, Will, who has apparently died and named Thorne as his daughter, Rose's guardian. Rose is about six years old, but speaks like an adult. Apparently, her father said she had an old soul, and she has spent more time learning ancient Greek than playing with dolls or other children. Thorne immediately knows the repercussions of becoming her guardian. As a bastard, people will assume she is his bastard daughter. However, he will not shirk his sense of duty to Will and decides there is no way he can let this little girl go elsewhere. He makes sure she gets outfitted and sets about to find her a governess. He does all this after making sure that she has a nice doll, who she names Antigone. When next Indian Thorn meet at Starberry Court, his estate, she immediately assumes Rose is his daughter. And after some blundering on her part um everything gets cleared up as to who rose is and so then we can focus on the estate it's terrible the house has no servants almost no furniture and a lot of statues of people in promiscuous positions with very little clothes on yeah a little to none India tries to quit, especially after she and Thorne do not see eye to eye on the magnitude of the renovation and the timeline before the house party he is throwing. Plus, there is this attraction to a man who tries to rule everything around him. The two of them cannot even have a quick conversation without sparks flying, until Thorne takes it a bit too far. Quote, If you ever say anything to me like that again, I will walk out that door and never return, India stated. There was a moment of silence, and then he smiled again. It was galling to recognize a drop of admiration in his eyes. Balls, he said. You've got them. (laughs) Ah, The two part ways with the promise of India delivering a mostly renovated house fit for a house party in three weeks. The work start and letters start flying Back and forth from Starbury to London and back. And this is where a lot of our plot gets along, but it's a lot of invoices with snarky retorts. It's so great. (laughs) But in the meantime, we meet Letitia Rainsford, also known as Lala. Thank goodness, so I don't have to stumble over her name anymore. (laughs) Uh, Who actually knows that she's not bright. She gets tongue-tied when out in society, and her mother is insufferable, demeaning, and demanding. She finds Thorne intimidating, but she'll do anything to get out of her mother's household. Also, it seems as though she has dyslexia, so she never learned to read, which is why she's convinced she's stupid. She doesn't know about dyslexia. I don't think dyslexia was identified as a thing. No, that's my assumption. Then. She has trouble yes. putting words together. Yeah, no, she. Uh, it is described. It is dyslexia. Like, but Lala just thinks she's stupid because she can't read. Mm-hmm. 
Then, after meeting Lala, we get more letters where Thorin gets witty and tries to get India to speak to him in a more informal manner, requesting she call him Thorn from now on. It's at this point that Thorn stops by to see the progress on the house. India, for her part, has been working day and night, and she is exhausted. And all she cares about is getting the house on track and getting things moving. Thorne, seeing her with a very much, um, you look terrible, is his opening greeting, I believe. <laughs> He's also concerned with the fact that she's in the house alone without even a maid. So he literally picks her up and puts her in his carriage to take her to the inn where she's been staying. On the way there, he grabs her, pulling her against him, and he tells her to sleep. And it's not a move on her part. It's literally like, you're exhausted, let yourself sleep. And she does, waking up in the bed at the end, still resting on Thorn. Yeah, Thorn has a lot of siblings, and he was the oldest, and he was always the caretaker. So this is like very much his nature, like mm-hmm. to care for people. I think it's the same with with Rose, but anyhow, we're going to get into that later. <laughs> so they end up eating dinner together and get to know each other better over over the meal. He tells her of his past as a mudlark pulling things out of the Thames for money. The wine with dinner and the opening up in conversation is giving both a feeling of closeness. At the urging to call him Thorn once again, India jokes about siblings and how next he'll give her a good night kiss. Which he does. And then he proceeds to give her an even better good night kiss. Mm-hmm. After... They quickly part ways, with India telling him it will not happen again. She is not his mistress, and he plans to marry another, so there is nothing between them. The next day, India finds out that Thorin left early, without even a note, and both begin to once again communicate via letter. The final letter prompts another visit from Thorn. Quote, Dear India, you have thrown down the gauntlet in terms of my vegetables and my supposed shortfall. I could have proved it to you the other night. Thorn. Dear Mr. Daughtry, there was no other night. You were dreaming. Lady Zenobia, India St. Clair. <laughs> Which is what she does when she's putting him in his place. Mm-hmm. Um, so Thorn comes in hot the next night, and not necessarily in a good way. He had a really terrible day. Rose has rejected another governess, and the rubber factory he's been trying to rebuild is having trouble producing workable models of his ideas. Now he finds out that India has been working very closely with the male artisans she's hired, and it's making him feel things, mainly jealousy. Mm-hmm. So he decides to stay for dinner. Quote, she should wear a warning sign on her back. Before you knew it, you'd be in too deep to recover. Find yourself on your knees, mumbling nonsense, too taken by the way she burned with life and passion to save yourself. At dinner, India hears about his rubber factory dilemma, bans to strap down trunks, but so far they can't make any big enough, and she tells him she'd love small rubber bands to bundle things together. And aha, the rubber band is born. Then things turn to thoughts on kissing. And while they do kiss and enjoy it, they both know not to take it any further. Quote, India put her arms around his neck. We are friends, you and I. I have no true friends because I've never had time for them. I never had them when I was little either because of my parents. You are my first true friend. It was one thing to kiss India. She was unlike any other woman he'd met. Curious, brave, and independent. She was a friend, but he couldn't take it too far. He didn't want to ruin everything. 
When next the two are in the same room, there's a little bit of teasing as India has found some naughty books the previous owner left behind and Thorne caught her reading them. There is some innuendo, but sadly, nothing yet for our encounter counter. And the house party draws near and Thorne, along with Rose, move onto the property. They've decided that Rose will stay in the dower house until he marries Lala. India visits with Rose and then ends up spending time alone with Thorne at dinner time. He takes her to the hammock he set up near the fishing hole. And then they start making out. And then India asks for more. So after a little finger wandering, which we can count as encounter number one because it's a separate chapter, Thorne moves them to the gatehouse and we get encounter number two, which is a full-on love sesh. We should mention that India tells him she's experienced. Oh, she yeah. does lie at this at this juncture because she really wants Thorne and she's afraid that he will get all valiant if he thinks that she's a virgin. Mm-hmm. They did manage before going too far that this was a completely one time, no strings attached deal. And the next day, the house party starts, which uh, includes Lala and her mother arriving. Uh, the other people that arrive are Vander, his good friend, and the Duke and Duchess of Villiers. Vander is there because Thorne, at the start of all of this, thought that he would be a good match for India. And Lala immediately feels out of place watching India, Thorne, and Vander banter with ease back and forth. That and her mother is already being lofty and having one of her episodes. Her mom reminded me so much of Mrs. Bennett from Pride and Prejudice. <laughs> like, very much like, oh, you know, my nerves, my nerves. Yeah. <laughs> uh, she's daughters, daughters. Yeah, she's really quite terrible. And, terrible. Uh, however, things change for the good when the local doctor, Dr. Hatfield, comes to treat Lady Rainsford. India had warned him of Lady Rainsford's arrival and the amount of daily attention she'd need. So, already got the doctor wrapped up, which is great because Lala sees him and is instantly smitten. And ends up leaving the house with the doctor to go on rounds after escaping her mother. And no one seems to notice. And the party proceeds. Thorne is jealous of Vander immediately because Vander is also immediately interested in India. And after Thorne kisses India again, he tells her he was probably breaking their agreement based on his natural drive to compete with him. India is not impressed with this manly showing of competition and leaves Thorne hanging. And after spending time with Rose the next day, she feels like she cannot continue to get close to Thorne. After all, he's destined to marry another woman, and she needs to focus on her own marital prospects. And Thorne really isn't one of them, because he doesn't fit any of the things she's wanted in a husband. She wanted a man she can manage, and she knows that Thorne is not the manageable sort. Mm-mm. During the party, Lala's mother keeps talking about how Lady Zenobia is the tramp who is probably sleeping with both Thorne and Vander to play the field. And with that in her mind, she leaves again and goes in search of Dr. Hatfield. She finds him not at home, but she does find a lot of people waiting to see him in his waiting room. So she takes care of all of them. And then when John, Dr. Hatfield, gets back, exhausted, finding things peaceful... He cannot help but to kiss Lala. 
Back at the house party, Lady Adelaide tells India she believes that Thorne is in love with her. India corrects her and tells her that he has every intention of marrying Lala, and she will go for Lord Brody, Vander. It is in this conversation that India realizes that Thorne does indeed have her heart. Mm. So at dinner that night, she tries her best to ignore him, which means he comes after her immediately, demanding to know why she's why he's getting the cold shoulder. And that tension leads to encounter number three in a closet without any protection. Ooh, and this rocks Thorne to the core. He has never not used a condom with a woman, and he's never also been this out of whack about a woman. Like, it would have never entered his brain not to use one before he met India. So, India has left, but he goes to his butler and asks for him to send someone for a special license, and then goes to India to tell her they will marry. She, of course, refuses. Quote, He deserved better than she, someone sweet and soft. She swallowed hard, and she deserved someone who loved her, not someone forced by his sense of honor to marry her. They part ways angry, but Thorne is no less determined to marry India. However, things are thrown for a loop when Lady Rainsford finds Rose and accuses Thorne of hiding a bastard of his own. And then we get quite the scene where India, who's just so angry about Lady Rainsford's bitchy, horrible behavior, says that, no, Rose is her child. And then when Lady Rainsford starts calling India names, Vander steps up telling her to watch her tongue around his future wife and future duchess. So it's a real comedy of errors stuff now. Mm -hmm. And Lady Rainsford is then equally told in no uncertain terms to leave immediately. And the Duke of Villiers tells her he'll make sure she's ruined socially. And it is all a mess. And then Lady Rainsford storms off and Rose was very upset by this whole thing. Thorne came in really late to it. So he immediately seeks to comfort her. And once she has quieted down and she's feeling better, and then he confronts Vander about India being his future duchess and they fight literally. And our comedy of errors continues when Thorne cannot find India And then his father tells him that they've left with the special license. Mm Mm-hmm. So Thorne rides through the night to break up the wedding, only to find out that it was not the wedding of Vander in India, but instead the wedding of Lala to Dr. Hatfield, which is a relief, but now Thorne has no idea where India is. India has been hanging out with Vander, and... Even though they were laying in bed together, they never even end up kissing. She just knows she cannot marry Vander. So the next day, she finds out that Thorne chased after Lala, so she assumes he must really love her instead. Yep, because you know, it's not a good love story without a good plot twist. (laughs) Thorne eventually finds India in London and presents her with a diamond ring and asks her to marry him again. India still refuses. And thinking that it's still the competition with Vander that drives him to this proposal. Therefore, Thorne does the most manly thing he can do to win India's affections. He goes back to his mudlark ways to track down the jewels India's parents had taken to London to be appraised. She thought they had gone to sell the jewels meant for her dowry, but turns out they died after not selling them. 
And Thorne is convinced they're still in the Thames and can be gotten again. Sure enough, he and his old gang do indeed find the jewels. Uh, but Thorne, while trying to save one of the other mudlarks, almost dies in the process. India, who's trying to forget Thorne, is summoned by Thorne's footman. Quote, He's dying, milady, he gasped, and the little girl wants you. She takes up vigil by Thorne's side, begging him to wake. Quote, I love you, she said again, her voice breaking on a sob. But I hate you, too, because this is the first time I've told you so, and you aren't even listening. I hate you for making me fall in love with you. I hate you for wanting to marry someone sweet and fluffy as a duckling instead of me. <sighs> but luckily, Thorne does wake because this is a romance novel and there's a happy ending. <laughs> and with a soft love you, he falls into a peaceful sleep. And the next day he wakes, and he and India get to have a real talk, clearing up the whole competition thing. Quote, I loved you before Vander arrived at the house. I simply didn't realize it. I think I probably fell in love with you the moment you told me I had a shortfall. So India gets her family jewels, which she tells Thorne were not worth his life, even if it was very thoughtful, and the story that her parents were not on their way to abandon her when they died. And then the two live happily ever after. And in the epilogue, we get to see that they had three children, and Rose is still an obviously treasured member of the family, and all four of these kids are siblings in the best way. And Starberry Court, the home India lovingly created, stood for generations as a loving home. The end. Aw, it's a very satisfying ending, and I am excited to talk about this book. So shall we adjourn to the parlor? We shall. So today I want to talk about Blush Magazine. Blush is... As we've said before, a digital magazine that takes you beyond the page of your favorite books to meet your favorite authors. It is romance-centric, and it's not a subscription, but a totally free digital magazine. So if you'd like to learn more about Blush, you can head on over to bit.ly slash Blush Magazine to check out the latest issue, and we will link to that in our show notes. Yes, and if you aren't familiar with our show... Typically, in the parlor, we have a book recommendation. Today, we don't have one. However, if you have a book recommendation for us, we want to hear from you. If you have an inclusive author you love or just a book of romance, no matter what the genre that you just want to share with others, tell us and we'll share it here in the parlor. And if you have a book you'd like to recommend for an episode, we want to know about that too. So you can let us know all of that through our email, romancepod at gmail.com. And if you'd like to find us on social media, you can find us on Instagram and Twitter at T as in Tom and as in Nancy Strumpets and Facebook and Pinterest slash TN Strumpets and YouTube by searching our name. And we really love hearing from you guys on Twitter and Instagram. And so uh, we've gotten a lot of tweets and Instagram messages and comments this week. And it's just always so fun to hear what you guys are thinking. So definitely check us out. Hi, 
I'm Elle Penelope, and I'm an author of epic fantasy and paranormal romance, and also the host of My Imaginary Friends, which is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. On my show, you'll get a weekly look behind the scenes of an author navigating the publishing world, as well as thoughts and tips on creativity, inspiration, writing routines, and more. So if you're an established or an aspiring writer, or a reader who always wanted a peek into an author's life, you can find me at myimaginaryfriendsshow.com or wherever you get your podcasts. So our first Eloisa James, I mean, it's not, but it's our first on the podcast. It is our first on the podcast and a first for me. I haven't read this one yet. And it was delightful. So funny story. I had a book in mind that I wanted to read and I couldn't quite figure out which one it was. I knew it was part of her Desperate Duchesses series. Mm -hmm. And I was like, oh, that's the one I think we should do as our first Eloisa James. And it was actually the Duke of Villiers book and Ah. Eleanor. So I, because I just remember loving that book because in that book, we see Thorne as a boy. Mm -hmm. And I think she wrote like eight books in between that book and then writing Thorne's story. So I mean, it was like a long time. And, you know, you just you kind of fall in love with this persnickety boy who just is (laughs) trying to take care of everyone. And I had forgotten that this was his book. Like I had I totally forgotten because I just remembered loving this book. And I was like, we should definitely do one that like for our first one that we love. Um, And so I it's just funny how that turned out. Like I was looking for his dad's book and then (laughs) ended up with his book. But yeah, I loved this one, too. It's been so long since I've read it. I mean, years and years. So I just yeah, I I I was delighted to read his story again. No, it's really quite fun because these characters really do stand toe to toe against one another. They really do stand toe to toe against one another. They're very honest with each other from the get go. And then there's like, it's not even misunderstandings. Like, it's very clear. She's like, I'm saying no to you for these reasons. Like, yeah, no, there, there, the misunderstandings, there was like a little bit of that, but it, it felt like comedy of errors, like exactly. you wrote yeah. in the synopsis, rather than, oh, here we go again. You know, it was kind of more lighthearted, which fit, fit with the banter. I loved their letters back and forth. They were hilarious. Oh, the letters were great. So good. And yeah, these characters have like so much zest to them. Mm-hmm. Like they're just both spicy, and I love that about them. Um, and they have cool backgrounds and, yeah, their class differences got in the way, etc. But one thing I really liked about this story was Lala because you do not expect her to be who she is. No, she ends up being this wonderful person. And it's so funny because you, you only hear about her for a while. And you're just like, oh, she's just an empty-headed bimbo. You know, he has a lot of money, blah, blah, blah. And then you find out – and then it's like, oh, no, he's trying to rescue her. Because he thought she was beautiful and nice. And then he met her mother and was like, oh, I need to rescue this poor girl, which is partly why he had it in his head that he had to marry her and why he's trying to impress her her mother, because the mother needs to give her say so. And God, her mother's truly awful. But we, yeah, and we learned that as as readers. I mean, Mm -hmm. her mom is just abusive, emotionally abusive, super abusive. It's it's bad. Mm-hmm. Um, and also her mom's a little bit nutso. I mean, I it, her parents like can't even be in the same room together. And so I'm sure there's like a lot to unpack there. Mm-hmm. But I really loved that, you know, 
Lala meets her person and it feels so natural. And like sometimes when you switch character storylines in a romance, you're, you you kind of get angry as a reader. You're like, I don't want to read this. I want to go back to my hero and heroine. Mm-hmm. No, I, I could have read a whole book of Lala and oh, Dr. Easily, easily. And it was really cute, though, because when I was putting the synopsis together, I was like looking through some pages and I found this quick little line where Lala is talking about how, um, you know, Thorne's nice, like Mr. Daughtry seems nice, but he really intimidates her. And mm-hmm. she's like, yeah, I don't really need to be move around in high society. I think I'd just be happy being like a doctor's wife. You know, yep. and it's so funny. And then to meet the handsome doctor. I don't even think he was that handsome. I think I think I remember her saying he was like balding and Oh, maybe he was. Or something. I can't remember, but but to her, she immediately was like, this is a person who I look at, I am attracted to, and I feel like would make me feel safe mm-hmm. and cherished. And those were the things that she really wanted. Oh, and it was so sweet. And it's so great because he's like, you're not stupid. You just have trouble reading. And that's – people have trouble reading. He's like, you're not dumb. Like, you can obviously, like, yeah. read numbers. Like, that's fine. And he's the first person in – she's really ever come across that is like, no, you're not dumb. You just can't read. And that's, that's a totally separate thing. Yeah. And then even like Vander and Thorne and India, as she, you know, Lala is talking about her day of rounds and all these different patients Mm -hmm. all kind of like raise an eyebrow and go, well, maybe she's not as, as empty headed as we all thought. No, they're all really impressed. (laughs) Yeah. And, and so they, they all go, oh, maybe we kind of had the wrong impression of her because normally she's tongue tied because her mother is crazy and makes her feel stressed. Anyhow, mm-hmm. I mean, I just, yeah, Lalo's story is great. And you get a lot of that more when you read the book. So like, yeah, I, I just really, I really liked that about mm-hmm. the book. No, and it's fun too, because the other side characters like Rose, like it, like I would have loved to feature Rose more. But mm-hmm. it's, she's she's really just a side character. I but can't she's, remember if she writes a book for Rose later or not, like way later. I don't know. I, I don't know either. I would hope so because Rose is hilarious. Like in a very like because she's very prim and proper and she's like a f- great interaction. She's a bit of a savant. Yeah. and But she's really funny because she's like telling Thorne how like her old tutor said all gentlemen know how to read ancient Greek. And he's like. Nope. Never learned. And well, he she, said, I'm not a gentleman. She's like, I'm not a gentleman. She's like, oh, well, we can work on that. <laughs> it's so cute. Yeah, she's she's such a, like they said, old soul. Um, yeah, and I did like the thorn and rose pun. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, India is, is the name that India goes by for the India rubber bands. Yeah, very, very clever. I wanted to say, though, so recently I've read the most recent um, Eloisa James book, which is the wild love or what? I don't know. It's the la- the latest wild book. Yeah. The wild of um, Lindo Castle. It's like the deuce yeah, of something. They all say book. Yeah. Yeah. And I did review it on Goodreads. And so my full thoughts are there. Um, but uh, a bit of, I guess, a spoiler if you haven't read that book. But I'm just going to say that I found it very lackluster. And I found this one to be stunning in comparison. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like this book was written so much better and had so much more dimension to it. And the characters just leapt off the page. And the now the writing in her newest book is perfectly wonderful. But the writing in this one is like 
chef's kiss. Like it just, it's so, it's like prime Eloisa James. Like I loved this book. It just was like, it was such a page turner and just happy, angsty, funny. I had a great time. I think I read this book from start to finish in like one night. I think I just sat down and read it because I started it and I couldn't put it down because it was just like the banter was so quick and like everything was just like flowing so well. Like I couldn't find a good place. There was no point where I wanted to put it down. There was no point where I even wanted to take a breath, like just to like pull it down and be like, huh, like, you know, I just was like, nope, tell me more. I need to know more about this. Like, (laughs) yep. So let's get into our individual ratings. What did you think about our hero? Thorn. I really liked Thorn because he really, I thought he was a very honest person about who he was and what he was all about. And I think that he was, his, any sort of his rough edges were very um, calmed down by his caring nature. You know, he, he gets Rose and instantly he sees this poor distressed little girl and he's just like, you know, when he finds out who she, not just who she is, but then what happened to her, like her tutor had just stuck her on a beer truck and like she hadn't been able to change for three days, you know, and she's six. Mm-hmm. And he's mm-hmm. like, I'm going to kill, like, if I could track the guy down, I'd kill him. Like, you can't yeah. treat a little girl this way. And he he does. He makes sure he she has toys. He makes sure she has clean clothes. And he makes sure that she's comfortable. And she knows that she's not going anywhere. Exactly. So, like, you know, it's so ugh. so when he does when he does get like rough and demanding and becomes, you know, the big the big man used to getting his way, you know, where he could get a little irritating. He's like immediately like those edges are immediately sanded down by his caring nature. I loved that about him, too. I think that, you know, he's got the that kind of like gruff exterior and warm, caring interior, you know, where you're just like this guy. You know, he had a hard upbringing, but then he, you know, he was brought into this family. And so, you know, there's some trust issues and all this stuff. But for the people who know him, he's extraordinarily loyal, you know, Mm -hmm. like that, that loyalty and that, that loyalty and caringness comes out. And yeah, and he's funny and he's a bit of a, he's a bit of a a bruiser sometimes mm-hmm. you know he's like a little too much or whatever but i i really liked him so i would give him an 8.5 i think he's fabulous i would agree with you 100 percent. 8.5 it's funny because like i'm like what more do i want but there was just there was a little something he's not a nine he's no. not a 10 i don't know but how he's to explain a, it. but he's a wonderful <laughs> hero and he's thoroughly oh, so fun to read yeah and then for sure india what do we think about india I love her job. Like, it's so fun to have an interior decorator slash organizer in the 1700s, mm-hmm. like, and a, a career woman, yeah. right, who has managed to keep her reputation spotless because of her godmother and because of her reputation in the ton just with all the women. Um, and and she's she is garnered- nobly born. She's the Marquess's daughter. Like, she's yeah, nobly so born. So, yeah, it's pretty high, although her parents were quite... Wackadoo. Loopy. Yeah. (laughs) So, um, but, yeah, I really liked her. And she's spunky and she's independent and she's smart. And she's also 
caring. Like, you know, obviously she's had her traumatic past that's kind of made her have some trust issues too. Mm -hmm. But yeah, no, I... I really liked her. I did too. And I liked the little quirks that Eloisa brought in with it with like, um, since India never really had a proper governess, because like you said, there wasn't a lot of money and her parents were a bit wackadoo. Oh, yeah. Um, she is really, really focused on grammar because she never had that like proper upbringing. So she's con- like, there's just these little moments where she even corrects Thorne and she's like, no, it's you and this. It's I. And he's like, what? Yeah. It's like, grammatically, it's this, you know? Yeah. He's like, I don't care. She's like, well, you should. It betters you. Like, <laughs> it's cute. And, and that that little insecurity is extremely endearing as a mm-hmm. character trait. Well, and that's the thing is that she has these little small insecurities, but they mm-hmm. don't rule her as a character. You know, you get so no. many characters where their insecurities are like all you really know about them. And all you get versus mm-hmm. India really has this tough exterior and she's really good at like not offending people, but, you know, quietly telling people to suck it, you know, and yep. yet she does have these little minor things that she can is concerned about, but they don't rule her everyday life. Absolutely. So what would you give India? I'm going to give India nine. I really liked her spunky personality, and she was just very quick with that tongue. She always called it a temper, and I just was like, no, you're standing your ground, girl. I I think she deserves a 9, too. I was going to go with 8.5, but it's like, why? (laughs) You know? Uh, I'm going to round up. She's a great, great character. I love her. Yes. So, how about favorite quotes? It's kind of hard to pick one from this... uh, it is. I think most of my favorite quotes are definitely on the dialogue front. I just, mm-hmm. I loved the dialogue in this. It just, I think that's one of those things that gets me. If anyone knows me, it's the dialogue really makes or break it for me. Well, I have one that's not dialogue that I can share. Okay. Uh, cool. A little, I have, I have two short ones, and this one is not dialogue. This is uh, just a bit of writing that's really nice, and it says, To her horror, India realized that all that maleness had kindled a sultry warmth in her stomach, and her pulse was thumping to a disgracefully erotic beat. She was both shocked and surprised by her body's reaction. She was decidedly not a woman who turned weak-kneed over a man. And I just, like, I really love that turn of phrase, thumping to a disgracefully erotic beat. (laughs) And that's so India, like Mm -hmm. her inner dialogue, like, Oh my goodness, this is not how I behave. Yeah. You know, this is not how a Marquesa's daughter should behave. <laughs> um, and uh, also, again, like wonderful Eloisa James writing. Yes. So this one's just a quick line. And this is when Thorne is thinking about Lala and like what makes her the perfect wife for him in a lot of ways. And it says, his intended probably wouldn't appreciate the comparison, but Thorne had the notion that she was like a rescued hound, one that would adoringly follow her new master in return for some kindness. It is bittersweet to to read that one, but it is, it's probably very true. <laughs> but I'm so glad it turned out even better for her. Yeah. Oh, and sorry, this is another one I just saw, which was great. And it's one of those things with India being a little insecure about her education and her upbringing because it was so lax. And so this is a um, this is a conversation between her and Thorne. And she says, as I told you, I hardly know anything. He shook his head. You're an odd duck. No, 
Just an ignorant one. (laughs) I love their back and forth. I have one more little one, too, that is uh, near the end. And this is between Thorne and his dad. And after Thorne comes back from realizing that Lala uh, was the one who eloped with the special license. Mm -hmm. um, And he realizes that his father was was making him realize that he was in love with India because his father had figured that one out already. (laughs) And so uh, he's kind of asking his dad, like, why did you why did you make me do this? And he says, quote, you are my son. The Duke continued, his eyes softening. I thought there was a good chance you'd inherited my idiocy. (laughs) (laughs) That's a good one. That is a good one. Yeah. So, yeah, just a lot of fun banter in this book. Mm -hmm. Agreed. All right. And let's talk about our steaminess. How steamy was this book? I thought this book was pretty steamy. Um, They were hot for each other. And the scenes that they had with each other, we had three, I guess. But, you know, they they had so much chemistry. Like, they sizzled in the letters, you know, Mm -hmm. in their innuendo. So there was a lot of buildup. So I felt like this this was a ready, like a hot cup of tea, ready to drink. I would agree with you. It was. I I did, rem- like I said, swept away the whole time and I felt that tension and I felt that chemistry and I was like, ooh, ooh, ooh. And it's so nice when there's so much of that chemistry buildup between them, like just from the dialogue. I love mm-hmm. that. And then when you get to those encounters, it's like you the payoff is, you know, tenfold. Yes. And I just I love it, too, because you really felt like you said it, it, a lot of it came from the letters, like the letters really built a lot of that relationship. And you felt it in the letters. It's just like, oh, she's going to be snarky now. Oh, what's he mm-hmm. saying now? So how about everything that we've said, let's break it down for our feminist recap, because I feel like this book is very feminist for a lot of the reasons we've said. Yes, a lot of it. There was um, good consent, number one, Mm -hmm. great consent. Um, Thorne really doesn't, once he gets to, not even once he gets to know India, he really isn't dismissive of her because she's a woman. He's dismissive because he just doesn't think she's, like, he doesn't understand the use of having a person but to once, hire. Yeah, for sure. But once they start having conversations, he takes her opinion a million percent, like the rubber band conversation. He mm-hmm. sits down and he says, tell me everything, you yeah. know, and he writes down all her ideas. And yeah, and, and, and it go it extends to Rose, too. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter. Like, he knows that women, you know, no. that's, that's... And eventually, like I said, he had... There was this whole thing where he couldn't find a governess. They weren't staying. Like, he couldn't get a governess for Rose. And then he finally hires her a male tutor straight out of Cambridge. He's like, well, she's getting a tutor because that's what she wants. Yeah. And India's a career woman, right? She's Mm -hmm. a career woman in this time. I think that that's important. I think Lala learning that she's not stupid and that she just has a disability and getting away from abuse, like, all of that is, you know, good. And India, when she's, you know meeting Lala and hanging out with Lala. She's always thought Lala was a very sweet girl mm-hmm. and never is never as catty or dismissive to no. her. You know, there's there's none of that. And same the other way around. Lala, even seeing her, you know, she's not jealous when she sees India bantering with Vander and Thorne. She's like, oh, I want to be able to do that. Like, yeah. but it's it's not even on the like, I want to be India or I'm against India or looking down mm-hmm. on her. It's just like, oh, I wish I had the ease that she has. The only part I'd bring up that felt a little incongruous to me was India lying about her virginity. 
Like, to me, that is, like, eh, not so great uh, as far as feminism is concerned. But in a way, maybe it is. Or am I wrong is, I guess, the question. Yeah. Like, because she was like, I know this is something I want to do. And yet, if I admit, like, fully that this is my status, that is going to prevent me from having this experience. Yes. So maybe and it I, is feminist. I think it, to- I think it is a little bit because she's taking what she wants mm-hmm. instead of, and the reason she doesn't is because she's like, Thorn won't do it if I'm a virgin. Like, I know that. And then, of course, mm-hmm. she uses the technicality of like, well, I bled like the first time I rode a horse. So like, I technically am not a virgin. Like... Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I, I guess maybe I talked myself out of that one. Um, but yeah, definitely a supporter. I think like a young girl or or any person reading this book is going to feel empowered from a lots of different things after it rather than feel, you know, rather than feel not. <laughs> I felt very empowered. Yeah. So we've let ourselves into our final book rating. <gasps> our final book rating I'm going to give this book a nine. I would also give this book a nine. This is a fabulous book. For whatever reason, it's not like one of my favorites, which is so silly because it, it should be. It's no. a really great book. Yeah. But it it is such a great book. Mm-hmm. Like, read this book. If you haven't read any Eloisa James, which is possible because there's so many great books to read, this is a great one, one to you pick can, up. Yeah, you can you can pick up. You don't have to know anybody else mm-hmm. in this series. It's so good, and it's so her. You're going to want to read her whole catalog after that. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. This is a total one. Like, because I don't. I think I've read some of the previous books. Like, I feel like I may have met Thorn before. I feel like I probably met Thorn's sisters. I think that's really what it is. And because like the name, the Duke of Villiers, like it rang a bell, and that story rang a bell. Between Eleanor I and think the Duke, there's only does, three books though in this series. I don't know, but doesn't his do his sisters have a book? I'm not. I honestly can't remember. I have such a hard time like organizing her series, except the Wilds, like because they're the yeah. most recent and they're pretty easy. So um, that's a, that's like a Bridgerton thing. That's really easy to <laughs> clump together. Yeah. Um, yeah, but I kind of like vaguely recognize it, but. She does a really good job of explaining without going into too much detail kind of who all the characters are. So you just are aware. You're like, okay, cool. This is great. Yeah. I think I remember Vander's book vaguely. And I'm like, hmm, I think I might need to pick that up and have a nice little comfort read. (laughs) Um, So we'll see. Maybe that'll be one of my uh, one of my books that I read soon. But not next because... We are reading something next week. Yes. Next week, we are finishing off our Bridgerton series. What? Oh, my god! I know. We are finishing it up next week. We are reading Gregory's book, On the Way to the Wedding, by Julia Quinn. Oh, goodness. Uh, yes. Uh, it's very exciting that we've we've gotten all the way through our Bridgertons, our darling Bridgertons. It's our first long series we finished because we're nowhere near finishing Penny Royal Green yet. Nope. We started it earlier, finishing it later. But you know what? We're savoring. Yes. <laughs> and there's so much other Bridgerton content as we've talked about. So Agreed. don't yeah. worry. We'll be we'll be talking about the Bridgertons further on. So I'm excited for that. And it's exciting because that's our 50th episode, which is wild. That is wild that we, A, we have 50 episodes, but also how perfectly timed that our 50th episode is the conclusion of the Bridgerton series. 
It's not like we planned that at all. (laughs) (laughs) Only medium. It was more like we're like, huh. Oh, that would be perfect to put there. <laughs> yeah, no, for sure. So um, yeah, we're really excited. We we passed our one-year anniversary or anniversary mm-hmm. uh, a little bit ago with, with zero celebrations. So uh, episode 50, we can be excited about, I suppose. Woo-hoo. We'll just like get a blower and be like, boop, boop, and then be like, <laughs> and we're done. <laughs> yeah, because uh, there are many more to come. And uh, thank you all so much for listening today. We'd love it if you rate, review, and subscribe on your podcast app of choice. Uh, that helps other people find us. And we really love hearing what you all think. So thank you all again. And join us next time as we read On the Way to the Wedding by Julia Quinn. And may all your ever afters end happily. Tea and Strumpets is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. He does all this after making sure that she has a nice doll, who she names Antigone. Oh, is that how you say that? God. Yes. It's a, so it's bad. A Greek, it's a Greek play. <laughs> I, I happen to know it because I, uh, my friend growing up wanted to like do Antigone at her house, and so we we're too young and we did Antigone. Anyhow. That's fine. The name Antigone rings a bell, but obviously like the seeing yeah. of it, the spelling, I was like, Ugh. Yeah, no, it doesn't look like Antigone. Mm-hmm. <laughs>